Hi, and welcome to the Faith That Does Justice podcast, the official podcast of campus ministry at John Carroll University. Join us this semester as we hang out with some of your favorite faculty and staff as we try to figure out what it means to live out a faith that does justice. I'm Ann McGinnis, and I'm joined today by Jeff Bjorn, the chair of the Sustainability Committee at John Carroll, and also the science buyer in the Dolan Science Center. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Ann. It's a pleasure to join you and uh, talk about one of my favorite passions. Oh, well, thank you. I've noticed myself that I have really been drawn to the environment in this pandemic, and I've never spent more time thinking about the environment uh, than now because we're outside in nature all the time. You know, the the trees have been the playground for my kids for many months now. Yeah, go out and hug a tree. Exactly. <laughs> we spent a ton of time in our garden. And I remember hearing that all you couldn't find, you know, anywhere to buy canning supplies because, you know, everyone in Cleveland had, <laughs> had taken them all. So I know I'm not the only one. A lot of people have been turning to their gardens and turning to their to the, just to hiking and the environment at this time. So I think it's a, a timely piece to have you on today. Great. Thank you. And we, we always begin by asking um, the religious or spiritual background um, of the person we're interviewing. So I was wondering today if you could just tell us a little bit about your religious background. Sure. I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, I come from a, a big Irish-German mixed marriage. My mother was Roman Catholic. My father was uh, German Lutheran. And um, they were married in 1946, and I'm the last of six children. Um, I, unlike my older siblings, I did not go to Catholic grade school, but I did attend uh, Jesuit high school in Toledo. And Wonderful. I did my undergrad and graduate work here at John Carroll. So I'm oh, nice. uh, deeply steeped in the Jesuit heritage, the Jesuit uh, charism. Mm -hmm. um, uh, thinking back, I would say it's going on 40 years of spooking around uh, near the <laughs> near the Jesuits. That's for, great. For me. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So how did you get into sustainability work? <laughs> so you know, both my parents and grandparents lived through the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. And those values of thrift mm -hmm. um, were imbued in our family, passed on to us children, you know, to clean your plate and, mm -hmm. and, and that kind of thing from early childhood. Mm -hmm. you know, those, are, those are early memories of mine. Um, even though we lived in a in a you know prosperous upper upper middle class suburb in Cleveland Heights and then uh, in Toledo for a while, I've bounced back and forth a couple of times across the state of Ohio, and um, you know that that's how it began. Mm -hmm. I, I remember my grandmother saying, "Make do, make over, and make with." Oh, I love that. And, awesome. and so that was the early equivalent of um, reuse, recycle, uh, reduce, mm -hmm. you know, before any of that was uh, turned into um, cutesy diagrams. Um, <laughs> my profession um, brings me into contact with many hazardous materials. Mm. As the science buyer, as the manager of central scientific stores here, um, the ethical use and disposal and uh, even, you know, making sure that we're buying the right amount at the right time so that we don't overbuy and have chemicals sit on the shelf. Um, that's always been a part of my professional code of conduct. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been doing that for 30 years here. Um, as far as the committee itself, I was at the right place at the right time. Um, okay. Carol Dietz uh, was um, upstairs talking with uh, uh, another admin assistant here in the building. Um, 
wringing her hands because uh, she had stepped down as the recording secretary for the for the committee. And um, where am I going to get a new recording secretary? I, and I was just hanging out in the office. <laughs> well, that's awesome. <laughs> and I says, well, that sounds kind of interesting. Is, is, is there anything? Uh, Carol and I had a passing acquaintance, you know, just a, just a professional relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, is, is there anything that I can do to help you, Carol? And she says, yeah, um, come to the meeting and see if it's something you'd, you'd be interested in. And, and so I got launched that way uh, onto the committee Okay. And I made a pretty decent recording secretary. Um, the subject reinvigorated a passion for me um, that I've always had to connect with the environment. Okay. Um, and <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately, I was such an enthusiastic member of the committee that <laughs> when Carol decided seven years as chair was enough for anyone. Yeah. And she asked Father Niehoff to name a new chair. Uh, she recommended my name and I was appointed by the president um, back in March of 2017. All right. And how long have you been on it total since you were recording? So I think I, think I joined in like maybe 15 or 16. Okay. 2015, 2016. Great. Yeah. yeah, it's been about five years. That's great. Um, my grandma lived through the Great Depression too, and I always remember her telling me to use less, of, like less of things. Like I always put too much toothpaste on the toothbrush, and she'd be like, "You don't need nearly that much. Just a tiny little amount, you know." Uh, so, so some of that too. Um, I had lessons, and I really think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Today, yeah. everything's just disposable. Oh, you just buy some more on auto ship on Amazon. You know, who cares if we waste it kind of mentality. Right. We need more of that in our world today. Absolutely. So thanks for sharing that good story. Uh, what drives and motivates your passion for the environment and for sustainability? And I think, you know, so many people... Um, out there want to do more for the environment. I know we have a lot of students who are passionate about it. We have um, so sustain, some sustainability interns here in the campus and ministry office who are working really hard. Um, but, you know, I think it's interesting to hear everybody's own story. So what's yours? What was your sort of drive or motivation? Well, first, I'm, I'm very proud of the work of our, our interns. Um, okay for the committee and and I love working with them they do they do great work for us um, when Laudato Si came out in 2015 um, that document once once I drilled down into it and and read it several times over and um, it, it tied together a number of personal values that I had not previously connected in quite the same way mm -hmm. um, before. Um, I spent summers growing up uh, working on a dairy farm that my brother uh, owned in Southern Ohio. And, um, and I try to return to that farm as often as I can mm -hmm. to decompress. Oftentimes I'll take exam week, I'll, I'll just use up some vacation time and take off because nobody's doing research and there's no labs going on. I can sneak away for more than a day or two without everything going, going to hell in a handbasket here. <laughs> um, but for me, getting away from social media, getting away from the internet, getting away from TV and radio for a week, mm. that, that decompression is so invigorating recreating yes. for my spirit um, and it refocuses my perspective on the things that are important mm. um, family nature solitude mm -hmm. and it's really easy when I'm leaning on a fence post looking out across the pasture chatting with my brother and you know he'll point out. He said, "Up there in those trees, uh, where those turkey vultures are sitting, 
if you look just a little bit further, you'll see uh, an eagle's nest. And, and that kind of connection um, helps me find God in all things. I mean, it's really easy. It's like falling off a horse to find God in all things when you're out in nature. You talked about that earlier about, about spending time um, with your children at the playground and, mm -hmm. and the connection with, with those trees. Mm -hmm. um, so that, um, that just tied together a lot of things for me. And as as I read the document and read commentaries on the document and had conversations with people on campus mm -hmm. that uh, were um, hosted by uh, Dr. Peck and Father Pip mm -hmm. and, and some other folks. Um, and of course, John uh, Scarano. Um, the, the more I drilled down into the document, the more it made sense to me, the more, re the more it resonated with my soul yeah. that um, if you listen to the news, if you listen to the talking heads, the, the, the pundits, the commentators, um, it, it's real easy to fall into a pattern of, uh, you know, running around with your hair on fire. The world is coming to an end. We've only got 50 years. Um, and <laughs> that can send us into a, a, a paralysis. Mm -hmm. And I, I need to unplug from that because there's no hope there mm -hmm. but in the in the in the ignatian charism that runs throughout that document mm -hmm. i mean you can take the pope out of the jesuits but you cannot take the jesuit out of our pope <laughs> um, he he writes like a jesuit he it, it maybe other people don't see it but it just the, that language resonates at, at the right frequency um, and, and the right notes that we, we have a responsibility. Um, the, the latest edition of, of conversations mm. talked about this. The, the, not, only, not only do we have a preferential option for the poor as, as one of our our core values uh, here in at uh, Jesuit institutions, but the author made the point we we need to make a, a preferential option for the earth, mm -hmm. and I had never thought about it that way. That was I I put a big star next to that in my magazine, mm. um, and and I've been percolating and 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 meditating on that the last couple of days. And it and it really rings true. That's profound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. gave, gave me goosebumps. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I love your story because I hear it so much from our students who return from immersions mm. that they loved being disconnected from internet and their phones for 10 days yeah. and how transformative that was for them, how present they felt, how, you know, um, how much beauty they would see in the environment and in those around them, just because we're not constantly being distracted all day by a text message or a ding on our calendar to go to the next thing. And, you know, it, it, it's really true. If we want to connect more with nature, we've got to let go of technology, even if it's just for three or four hours to put your phone away while you're outside. I think it's really important. And isn't that also the experience of, of the spiritual exercises? Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've done the exercises several times in my life. Um, I, I took the, um, the eight-day retreat uh, twice when I was a student at, at John Carroll. Oh, um, We're preparing students now for the silent retreat. Oh, I, I think that's a wonderful thing. But what I realized, um, what or the dynamic for my mind going through that experience was the first 24 hours are kind of difficult because your mind is used to this continuous uh, stimulation. 
and, and quieting down, removing that stimuli, it, 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 it's like detoxing a junkie mm. from, from the advertising, from the noise. And if I can get through the first 24, 36 hours, my brain settles down, I find a groove, I'm ready to go into the exercises. And at the end of those eight days, I don't want to come back into society. I want to stay in that quiet place. Right. And, um, and, I, and I'm sure that Ignatius has all kinds of commentaries about reintegrating back into the world that, that, we, that we must be in the world, not of the world. Um, Contemplatives in action, how we balance. That's one of my, one of my favorite phrases. That's, That's one of my favorite phrases. And, yeah. and, when it, and when it comes to the environment, when it comes to sustainability initiatives, mm -hmm. um, we're being called by Laudato Si and really all of the environmental encyclicals that, that came before that. Um, Benedict wrote one I wasn't even aware of. I, I stumbled across that the other day. Um, this is this is not new stuff to us, um, but um, we're called to be contemplatives in action with emphasis, underline, highlight, bold cap the word action. We we work out our we work out our environmental salvation on our feet, not on our knees. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, very true. So thinking about action, I know you're involved in many initiatives on campus. One of them is Tree Campus USA. Um, could, you, could you tell us a little bit about your work with Tree Campus USA and, and your achievements? <laughs> Great. Oh boy, uh, you got a couple hours? <laughs> well. So briefly, Tree Campus USA is a program through the Arbor Day Foundation. Okay to recognize college campuses that are doing an exceptional job of stewardship of, of their urban forest. Um, you've probably seen Tree City USA signs as you drive around Cleveland, you, as you pass between suburbs. Yeah. University Heights is a 40 year uh, member of the Tree City um, uh, program. And so it's, it's a similar program to Tree City, but for college campuses. Um, and that ongoing commitment to those gifts of nature that sequester CO2, that control erosion, that provide property values, that filter particulates from the air, that provide active cooling to buildings in the summertime for free. Mm -hmm. Um, offer an entire ecosystem to animals, birds, insects, other plant life, mosses, lichens. I mean, when you, when you walk around a tree and study it, look at it from a distance, look at it up close, it is a world unto itself and, and a worthy subject of contemplation or meditation. Um, so we started this process three years ago. Uh, Mitch Table actually started it with by, by taking an inventory of all of the trees on campus. We discovered that we had 963 living trees on campus, Whoa. not counting the external properties. Wow. Uh, just these 60 acres, either side of Belvoir, and the streets that you know kind of define the main campus. Um, Dr. Ed Peck, who's been our champion and advocate on the senior leadership team, suggested that we, we try to shoot for a thousand trees. Let's just set a goal to, to, to get to a thousand. And this was easily accomplished within about a year. That's awesome. Um, Dr. Johnson and I planted that 1,000th tree in June of 2019. I remember that. Mm -hmm. So as part of the Tree Campus program, we maintain that inventory. We're looking for opportunities to improve our collection. 
We have a tree care plan and a tree care committee that reviews the plan annually and makes suggestions to augment our efforts. So recently there's been an interest in mapping a tree trail and developing a new tree course in the biology department. Oh, that'd be so cool. Uh, this is being spearheaded by Dr. Jeff Johansson. So if students are interested in that uh, and are listening to the podcast, um, buttonhole him in the hallway when you see him, ask him when the tree course is going to be <laughs> developed and, and um, um, that might give him a little nudge. Um, but we continue to grow our arboretum as a very visible, very accessible uh, sustainability initiative. Mm -hmm. And one of the distinctive, most beautiful features of our campus. Indeed, it really is. And I know you're, um, you've worked so hard, the, the campus is beautiful, and I, and I, but I'm sure you're involved in more projects um, in addition to, to the Tree Campus USA. So could you tell us just briefly, what are some of the other sustainability projects you're working on on campus that you'd like students to be aware of? Sure, probably some, some initiatives that are in place right now that students are not aware of, uh, or not enough of them are aware of, mm -hmm. is our battery recycling program. There, okay. are, there are small five gallon uh, green and white pails, uh, various places around campus. There's usually one in every dormitory uh, head resident office uh, where students can drop off uh, cell phone batteries, flashlight batteries, uh, button batteries. Um, and all of those get diverted from the landfill. So instead of throwing them in the trash, um, we go around and collect those and sort them, send them to a recycling facility in Michigan. That um, Some of the batteries we get paid for, some of the batteries we pay them. Mm -hmm. But it uh, this, this last summer, mm -hmm. we diverted 2,100 pounds, 2,500 pounds of batteries. Mm -hmm out of the landfill the they didn't go into a dumpster anywhere uh, and and that initiative cost us only about 600 bucks that's amazing to get them there and sorted and recycled because there's so much in a battery that can be recycled that's um, so that's so that's one thing that many people might not be aware of uh, we have a bike co-op uh, that's run through the recreation desk. And while there isn't anybody on campus right now, uh, when the students are on campus in nice weather, they can go to the rec desk and sign out a bike. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I have no idea. We try to provide service learning projects, um, get students involved. Mm -hmm. Last last year's um, Arbor Day Foundation 2019, it was, it was really, that was, that was the day we wanted to culminate the day with, um, with planting that 1,000th tree. And it was a really cold, muddy day, kind of steady drizzle. We had probably 20, 30 students actively involved in digging holes and moving uh, saplings into position and and um, some of them were just like, I don't, I don't know how to describe them. They, they, they got down in the mud and, and wallowed around and had a good time and, and had, had more of a good time than, than maybe some of the adults did, but <laughs> it was, it, their enthusiasm was, was contagious. We had hoped to to have the mayor and the president, uh, you know, dig the put the ceremonial shovels into the ground, but we we delayed that to a nicer day, and uh, and we ended up doing that in June. Um, we're composting our food waste on campus, uh, so we have a new catering company on campus, and they have uh, recently um, notified me that they. 
uh, have contracted with Rust Belt Riders. Oh, great. We use them in campus ministry which is, too. Which is a local uh, uh, class one industrial composting firm. Um, they, you know, they, they have some, uh, some big clients and we've been added onto their, their list. That's huge. Um, I'm so glad to hear that. And as, and as we talked uh, uh, at the very beginning of the podcast, the, the increased student involvement through um, internships, both mm-hmm. with sustainability and, and the Fair Trade Committee. That's great. Yeah, yeah and in campus ministry, we have uh, terrace, terrace cycle. Uh, they're sort of like cardboard boxes. Your battery boxes remind me of it. Um, so you can bring in toothpaste containers, deodorant containers, pens, you know, things like that, that typically don't get recycled, at least in University Heights, that's not one of the main items they recycle. So you can drop them in our conference room and little stuff like that would be recycled. Oh, good. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So I have like (laughs) 50 toothpaste bottles accumulated in my house right now (laughs) that I'm waiting to bring in. But I've been in campus ministry, we've been really inspired by sort of the zero waste movement. Um, Mm. And while we're not there yet, you know, we did buy all reusable plates and napkins and things like that for our department, which, you know, we were using pre-COVID. But one day we'll get back to that as well, just to eliminate our single use, you know, paper plates that you just throw out and the napkins as well. So um, one one step at a time. (laughs) That's right, a day at a time. Right. And if you don't mind, could you um, just tell us a bit about maybe what you do at home uh, to keep working towards sustainability? Do you have any any tricks that you wanna share with anyone? I was was a little surprised actually. I I jotted down um, a couple of talking points and the list got longer and longer. Um, and I almost feel like patting myself on the back, but there's always something else. And, and they're little things. They're, they're things that people can start doing immediately. It it doesn't require a big outlay of cash or anything like that. I compost my food scraps. You know, when I, when I peel an apple and take out the core, I've got a little, uh, bin right next to my sink and all of that stuff goes in there the 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 core from a romaine head that goes in there the stems from a green pepper that goes in there and it goes out to my my mulch pile that has leaves and grass trimmings and and I throw that on the top a lot of the stuff never composts it ends up getting eaten by the <laughs> by the raccoons, the woodchucks, the deer, everybody goes over there to see what's on the pile. <laughs> and um, what was for dinner last night at Jeff's house? <laughs> so it's, it's being recycled. That's awesome. I recycled. Love it. I love um, it. You know, as, as I mentioned before, I was brought up not to waste food. Um, I plan my meals. I don't shop hungry. If you're going oh, to the grocery store on, on Saturday morning, make sure you have breakfast because that will really tamp down that temptation for impulse purchases. Ooh. Like, ooh, Pop-Tarts, those sound really good. That's a great tip. That's my stomach making mm. shopping choices for me. Shop with a list, you know, it's, it can really be that. And, and think about what I'm going to make this week. Right. I do, I do a lot of my cooking en masse over the weekend and then portion it out um, for my lunches and dinners um, during the week. And so that saves a lot of prep time. I can I can have two or three pots boiling at the same time on the stove. And um, I don't mind eating the same thing every day for mm-hmm. a couple of days, two, three days in a row. That's, mm-hmm. you know, but That's I'm a bachelor, great. you know. <laughs> I, I admit that I will stand in front of the refrigerator and eat. Um, My husband always tells me to double the meals. He's like, just double them. There's less dishes, less work, you know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, this year, I'm letting the leaves lay in my backyard. Oh, awesome. I've always wanted I to am, do that. I am not raking them to the curb um, because beneficial insects and pollinators need places to overwinter or lay their eggs. Mm-hmm. 
And so a lot of moths and butterflies need some place to hide out. There actually are local, like native moths and butterflies to Northeast Ohio that don't migrate. They, they overwinter, not underground, but in leaf litter oh in your backyard. And I, I don't know how they survive the cold, but they do. And so that form of ground cover actually returns beneficial nutrients to the soil as the leaves break down, which keeps your lawn green and gives food to birds and rodents all winter long. That's great. So, yeah. Um, I'm slowly letting my perennials invade my lawn in the backyard. So lilies of the valley that are very invasive, myrtle, pachysandra, all of those things. They're, they're, the, the, the grass that I have to mow in the back gets narrower and narrower <laughs> and shallower. Um, I, I, was, I was fortunate to find this cute little two-bedroom bungalow um, up near East Cleveland in, in Cleveland Heights near Needle Park. And it has a 220-foot deep lot. Mm. 40 foot wide but it's 220 foot deep and it's heavily wooded as are many of my other neighbors and so I mean the deer are everywhere every day right <laughs> they're, they're kind of like stray cats I mean they're they're, they're <laughs> almost they're almost pesky um but I saw I saw a doe drop triplets in my backyard oh my a few years back. Yeah, I came out and I noticed that my neighbor had a new piece of lawn sculpture and then I realized that it, it one of its ears flicked. Oh my god. And it was and it was a tiny newborn oh. uh, fawn that she had just dropped and then walked away to go feed. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I couldn't oh. even stand up yet. Um, I have a high efficiency furnace with a programmable thermostat. So if you're thinking about replacing your boiler or replacing your forced air gas furnace, um, look at the high efficiency models. They're a little more expensive, but the return on investment is usually no more than two or three years. Wow. And you're saving, you're using less gas, so your gas bill is lower and um, you're, you're getting more BTUs staying in the house instead of going up the flue. Wow. Um, I don't use rock salt on my walks or drive, mostly because it, it, it tears the concrete apart. Okay. Um, but then that salt doesn't get washed down into the storm sewer and it doesn't end up in the lake and it doesn't kill the grass. Um, so our winters have gotten milder and milder each year. In the last couple of years, I've run the snowblower maybe once or twice, and sometimes I go out and just push the snow off to the side with a snow shovel, mm -hmm. or, you know, it'll snow one day and it's going to be 45 the next day. I just, I just leave it and, and it melts, mm -hmm. you know, so. Because they, the pollution given off by the snowblower is a lot. Is that where you were? That's why I don't use it all the time. The leaf blower pollution is supposed to be way worse than a car. I heard the same thing okay. recently on the radio that leaf blowers are some of the biggest polluters. Um, so pick and, up your rake, folks. Yeah. Use the old-fashioned way. It's good exercise. <laughs> as, long as, as long as you don't wrench your back, um, <laughs> or just or just leave them where they are. Yeah, you know? exactly. Make sure that make sure that they don't get out into the street to block traffic or to clog the. Um, the sewer drains, mm -hmm. because that's that's really important to keep those sewer drains open. Um, I try to conserve water. I don't, I don't run the dishwasher every day. Um, I run it when it's full. Mm -hmm. I have I have rain barrels on both my house and my garage. Oh, good! I've always wanted to set those up, and I've just and those are those are real easy to to. Um, I got to do it. Yeah. I reglazed my windows this year. I still have some old-fashioned windows, and and the glazing was starting to crumble a little bit and fall. Um, I was doing some tuck pointing around the house, and I saw and I said, "Okay, I need to I need to tackle that as well, That's because really that 
that keeps that keeps the drafts from getting around the glass and getting into your house. And isn't there almost like a, it's not saran wrap, but it looks like saran wrap that you can put over your windows if they're drafty. You know what that is? There's, there's, yeah, there's, uh, I think maybe it might be a 3M product. There's, okay. there's a lot of ways to uh, button up your windows right. from even just, even just using bubble wrap and, and put it up over the glass. That, ex that extra air buffer uh, can be very insulating. That's really helpful. There's, there's yeah. lots of ways to do that. Because um, in grad school, I used to always do our windows. Um, I lived with biologists who were very concerned about, you know, and rightfully so, saving energy. And then, you know, I've just gotten away from it. So I need to go back. But bubble wrap, you seem to always get that in the mail. That would be an easy one to do. <laughs> With my kids, they'd love it. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Um, I don't use the exhaust fan in my bathroom in the wintertime because that that beneficial moisture that comes from a hot shower in the morning um, puts needed moisture in the air, um, doesn't dry out your skin quite so much, right. and um, it keeps the heat and that moisture in the house. Okay. And it dissipates so quickly because all of the woodwork is trying to, to absorb that, so it, right. it it doesn't get it doesn't get too sticky. Okay, good tip. Um, I usually have an extra blanket on my bed, and I turn the temperature down. You know, that that programmable thermostat it it uh, it automatically sets back to 60, 60 degrees at night. Mm, that's chilly. <laughs> well, not not when you're under a couple of blankets. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They say it's uh, best to sleep in the cold because you sleep better. So you do sleep better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I have trouble sleeping and and it's definitely I I need to be in a cool room. So right. thermostat sets back. Um and I you know, and I have um um little plug in electric timers on some lights in my house. So even if I'm away in the evening, it looks like there's somebody in the house, but the timer you know, turns on and turns off. Okay. So I, I'm not burning that extra electricity by just letting a, a lamp burn all the time. Yeah. I've, I've gone through and replaced, or as, as bulbs have burned out, I've replaced them with uh, first um, compact fluorescence, Mm -hmm. And then as the price of LEDs have come down, Great. Um, those are available in so many different sizes. You can even get dimmable LEDs now for your dining room chandelier. Yeah. So almost all of the, the, the light bulbs in my house have been replaced with LEDs. That's awesome. Yeah. We're working and, those are, and those are all little, little yeah. things that, that don't cost a lot of money. You don't have to go out and spend hundreds of dollars exactly. to do that retrofit. Um, replace things as they as they use up their natural life, and um, you know we're doing we're doing the same thing here at the university. As yeah. as fluorescent bulbs burn out, we're replacing them um, where appropriate with LED. Right. It right. looks it looks just like a fluorescent tube, but it's a uh, it's a retrofit kit mm -hmm. that That's uses cool. a, a fraction of the amount of electricity. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, students who go on our Appalachia immersion always come back and say that if you have appliances that, like say your cell phone, that you that you keep plugged in, you know, say you charge it overnight, and I'm guilty of this, that it uses almost, you know, as much electricity as it, you know, as the initial charge just to keep it plugged in. So to save electricity, you know, they say to really unplug after you charge instead of just like letting it go all night long. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you know about it, but they say it's good. To, like if you can, you know, if you have like a, a power cord on your TV, you know, to turn it off instead of letting all those little lights like on your TV and your DVD and your Blu-ray and all that keep going. Um, just well, like and especially, especially if you're going out of town for a week. Right, right. Turn down your hot water tank, turn back the thermostat, and and put it on hold so that it stays at say sixty degrees. It's not going to hurt your house plants. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Let that let that safety light burn for a couple hours, and 
right and I, street so that you know and i like your point about you know we don't have to rush out and buy the latest led or you know you know in general sort of when we think about replacing things that are broken can we think about more sustainable choices for the next round you know as as my sort of plastic tupperware breaks can i think about glass or metal tupperware to replace it with you know to reduce our our use of plastics so like i, I like can't that. remember i guess yeah it is it's backwards um so earlier we talked about reduce reuse recycle right but that's that's actually been um expanded to what's called the eight R's of a circular economy. Okay. And in in order of precedence, you, you first should rethink, do I need to buy this? Yes, yes. You know, and then the next, the next R is repair. Mm -hmm. And then the next one is reuse, mm -hmm. reduce. Okay. refuse <laughs> when I go to the grocery store if I'm only buying one or two things on the way home from work I'll tell them and of course I carry you know a couple of reusable grocery bags in my in my car I might not even grab the bag and go into the store if I'm only going to get a couple of things I don't need a bag mm -hmm. you know exactly. re refuse the plastic bag right. um, recycle that bag if you do take one Mm -hmm. um, you know, use it as a trash can liner. Exactly. Use it to, to pick up the kitty litter. Mm -hmm. um, recover hmm. is, is another one of those R's. An and, you can, and you can do that in a number of different ways. I mean, taken literally, um, don't buy new furniture, have it reupholstered. Re mm -hmm. Recover the chair, you know. Repaint, um, yeah. Right. And, and finally, which in this one I think is, is kind of funny, um, you don't have to tell anybody you're doing this, re-gift. <laughs> so eight R's of a circular economy. Go out on the web and uh, type that in and you'll find all kinds of, uh, of great ideas for that. That is really good. I just recently canceled my auto ship on Amazon because I'm like, you know what? That's consumerism par excellence. You're not even thinking about it. And then I look in my basement and I have like five months worth of toilet paper down there because it's just on auto ship, you know? And plus, you know, Amazon's taking over the world too. So <laughs> could I support another business was a thought. But just like, you know, rethinking I think is great. And, you know, I always try to, when I can support companies that do use um, like Patagonia, you know, has some sales and it's, and it's worth to buy because they, they try to source, most of their stuff is sourced from 60% recycled material. And then when it wears down, they will either recycle it or repair it for you. Like if they yeah. can't repair it for free, then they'll take the garment and recycle it instead of letting it go into the landfill, which is pretty huge. And that comes back to that uh, preferential option for the earth. Yeah. Given a choice, and hopefully we're, we're being... We're, we're thinking about what we're purchasing. If, if we have to purchase something, um, who, are we, who are we purchasing it from? Uh, so, so much of the fair trade, you know, sweat-free t-shirts, um, can, I, can I adapt or re, reuse last year's fashion instead of the latest fash, fast fashion? Exactly. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah. Disposable disposable clothes. It's 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 exactly. a terrible thing. The cost, the true cost, I think, is the, the name of the documentary we showed in campus ministry that talks all about. That was a great film. It was. It really changed my outlook on this fast fashion, and yeah, I found a great you know secondhand store where I can find if I really need to buy something, you know, reuse, get it for ten bucks. <laughs> did um, you did? Did your grandmother have a button box? Yes, totally. Both of my grandmas did. Mm -hmm. Oh, I loved playing with the button yes. tin. It was, you know, it's like a big fruitcake tin yes. that, that she saved buttons off of of my grandfather's white shirts that wore oh, out, nice. and and so she always had spare buttons. But you know, imagine taking some of these 
uh, nicer, the shank buttons that you see on dress coats and mm -hmm. um, redo, redo the buttons on one of your uh, outfits and you've got a brand new outfit. Mm -hmm. you know, and I was just thinking how like centrally located that button box was like the sewing and the buttons were just right in the coat closet. So it's like, if you needed it, it was just right there. Easy repair. Now, you know, if I need to repair something, it's like I'm digging in my attic for my sewing kit. And so, and so I don't do it as often, you know, unfortunately, that, that's a really good tip. And, you know, you didn't come out and say it when you were talking about cooking, but, you know, it's implied that if you want to reduce waste, you have to do a lot of your own cooking because when you're buying out fast food all the time, you know, it comes with so many disposable containers and plastic bags and... I, I've, I've never been a big fan of takeout and yeah. and heaven help us um mm -hmm. the the restaurants look like they're going to be shut down again i know um uh, so yeah i've i've always <laughs> again you got another hour um, <laughs> we have to wind up a minute i've always um I've always cooked for myself. Mm -hmm. That was, that was again, something, one of those values that, that my mother instilled in her five boys. That's of amazing. The, of the six of us, before we went off to college, each of us had to demonstrate to her that we could cook and clean and iron a shirt and sew on a button. That's awesome. Wow. Can you do your own laundry? Awesome. You know, these, these basic survival skills that now have become cocooning skills mm -hmm. as we're spending more time at home. Um, and not to mention the health benefits of cooking for yourself. You oh know. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's, and that's something else that I, that I do is I try to eat locally. Yes, me too. And, and buy seasonally. Yeah. Yeah. We um, have a, a CSA, like a community shared agriculture program we belong to and, um, also go to Ohio City Provisions that does all local pasture-raised grass-fed meats yeah. and stuff. So know, I, know where your food comes from. That's that's something else that I learned from from spending time on the farm. Mm -hmm. um, and you appreciate it more, and you waste less because you know you really appreciate where it's from. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, probably just time for one more question. Um, okay. <laughs> this, I mean, I really think that sustainability is at the heart of a faith that does justice. So, I mean, you're really inspirational um, to me and I'm sure many of our listeners here in the way that you live out this faith that does justice and helped our campus to do it. But so as we end, you know, what could, what could students do? You know, sometimes when you hear a podcast of everything going on, you know, one gets overwhelmed. So maybe just a few, you know, top three or four things that, that students could do to get involved and be sustainable. Right. Um, the number one thing that I wanna emphasize is that, that we ask our students to carefully recycle. Mm. We oftentimes have one or two bins sitting next to each other. One is for trash and one is for recycling learn what actually can be recycled yeah. right right now our our waste hauler only wants like clean dry cardboard pop bottles cans um milk jugs that's about it everything else if it's got if it's got f food or grease on it throw it in the trash okay. and the, and the cleaner stream that we can provide uh, the less of our recycled stream gets rejected it, it seems so sad to to go to the effort to um to segregate our waste and then it, it because the recycled stream is contaminated that that ends up being sent to the landfill anyway so so carefully recycle think before you buy ask yourself these questions do i need it okay and if I need it, can I borrow it from a friend or can I find it used somewhere? Um, upcycle your own cast-offs. I know the campus ministry has several uh, food drives and clothing drives and this, that, and the other thing. Um, right. Donation programs going on throughout the year. 
uh, Labre, you know, all of the, all of that kind of thing. Um, and and if you don't want to do that, recycle it to your to your own friends and family. Mm-hmm. You know, being the youngest of six, I had a lot of uh, hand-me-down clothes growing up. <laughs> they were new to me. Yes, uh, exactly. All my kids get hand-me-downs. <laughs> yeah. Try to, try to avoid food waste. You know, take take what you can eat, but eat everything that you take. Mm-hmm. And uh, try to conserve energy. One of the things that I learned very early on joining the Sustainability Committee that, um, that Carol Dietz started, she would give an energy... Um, a, a pretty comprehensive campus energy report every year. Okay. And, and she would show trend lines going back 10 years and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that really struck me was that uh, the two dorms across the street, Camp, Campion and Hamlin, mm-hmm. their electric bill is $10,000 a month for just those two buildings. So when the students are on campus, if you ever drive by campus at, in the evening, every light is lit and, you know, try to conserve some energy. Turn, turn the switch off when you leave the room, even if you're just going down the hall to watch TV for half an hour. Um, you know, it really saves. Yeah. And, and the money that we don't have to spend on electricity uh, which, by the way, the, the electric buy that we that we have contracted on on campus is thirty percent recycle thirty um, percent renewable content. That's awesome. We've opted for that as well. That's yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we spend a lot of money on energy, and um, it it could just it could very easily be um, trimmed down if okay. if we just turn the light switch off, Yeah, you know, if you're not using it. Well, Jeff, this has been so helpful and really inspiring. (laughs) There's many things I want to do when I get home. (laughs) Well, there's so many, there's so many more things we could talk about too. Uh, Maybe, maybe part two sometime. Yes, that would be wonderful. I really appreciate your time and I appreciate everybody tuning in to the Faith That Does Justice podcast. We hope to see you next week. In the meantime, stay well, conserve energy, (laughs) and check out that, can you tell us again, the eight-part circle of, what was that? The the eight R's of a circular economy. In the meantime, follow the eight R's of a circular economy. (laughs) Be well, everybody. Until next time, talk to you later.